You're listening to the Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C. And I'm your co-host, Katie Putz, coming to you from Prague in the Czech Republic. Good to be back with you, Katie. Uh, good to do two podcasts in a week. Uh, of course, there's a lot to talk about. There absolutely is. So as we told our listeners at the last episode, uh, we did want to come back this week and talk a bit about the Shanghai Cooperation Organization uh, Summit. The 22nd Summit took place between 15th and 16th September, uh, just just a few days ago, uh, in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. Uh, and there's a lot happening right now in the former Soviet space that I think is worth talking about uh, in Central Asia. And we'll try to hit some of those beats on this episode. Uh, for instance, Chinese President Xi Jinping made his first trip out of China after a thousand days. He decided to stop over in Kazakhstan, which people have sort of interpreted in various ways as perhaps symbolizing China's equities in Central Asia. I'll also just flag that it was back in 2013 in Kazakhstan that Xi Jinping launched the Silk Road Economic Belt, the belt piece of the Belt and Road. Uh, so Kazakhstan, I think, is had a special set of relevance for Xi in particular uh, as part of China's sort of broader March West strategy that's been ongoing for 10 plus years at this point. Uh, I think we'll also talk then, Katie, a bit about, um, of course, Vladimir Putin participated in the SEO summit and there were various statements made by, uh, you know, I want to focus particularly on remarks made by Xi Jinping and Narendra Modi of India uh, on the notion of war in Ukraine uh, and whether this indicates that India, China, potentially other countries are beginning to distance themselves with Russia. I think there's a discussion to be had there. And then finally, uh, we have a lot to cover on this episode, um, the clashes between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan that have really uh, flared up uh, this month. Um, Katie, you can maybe take us a bit into what's been going on, why it's happening, and how that might resolve itself. So um, with that all said, let's jump right in. Uh, let's talk a bit, first of all, about I guess the geopolitics surrounding the SCO summit. Um, I think the SCO summit was an opportunity. Uh, you know, first of all, I think just to con uh, contextualize it, the SCO summit was going to be an opportunity for Vladimir Putin to demonstrate that he's not quite as isolated on the international stage as the West might have hoped. Of course, the summit came at a time of particularly dire battlefield um, um, conditions for the Russian side in uh, in the ongoing war in Ukraine after Ukraine made some tremendous advances in Donbass in particular. Uh, and so you have Putin coming to this summit uh, and sort of listening to leaders then basically warn him about the prospects of continuing this conflict. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi said, for instance, that today's era is not of war. Uh, India's sort of been playing a, you know, walking the tightrope on the Ukraine issue throughout the um, the seven months now that this conflict has been ongoing, never really outright condemning Russia, but not also directly voicing support for Russia. So this can be read as part of that broader effort. Uh, and then the more interesting thing, I think, was um, the comments that uh, Putin actually said in his meeting with Xi Jinping, where he acknowledged that China had questions and concerns. And this has sort of been, I think, debated, Katie, and I'd sort of love to hear what you think, because... Of course, China has taken a very different position than India, I would argue, through this conflict uh, from statements that have almost directly indicated support for Russia without providing any material support to indicating that China and Russia have a shared worldview to then also, I think, indicating a degree of discomfort. And especially, I think, when the battlefield uh, conditions turned against Russia and hearing Putin talk about questions and concerns, I think it's very open to interpretation. I think there's an obvious question that we should ask before we interpret this as China having critiques and concerns of Russia, which is why would Putin publicly acknowledge that in a summit setting? So I'm not quite sure what to make of this, but you know, I'd love to get your take. So I think it's important to uh, 
underscore that it's possible that all of those things are happening at once. Um, and I think you caught on to something really important when you noted that Putin himself is the one that brought up Ukraine in his bilateral meeting with Xi and said, you know, I recognize that China has questions and concerns and we'll discuss those. He immediately then uh, sort of put out his support for the Chinese position vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. Xi, on the other hand, did not mention Ukraine at all. And so I think it's particular, that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, I wrote an article last, I guess it was last week, saying, you know, that, that there is this shared Russian-Chinese worldview. And I think that's what continues to tie these countries together, regardless of perhaps differences of opinion when it comes to tactics. They agree on the sort of course uh, of, of actions. And, and that shared world, worldview is really built around the idea that the, the world is in chaos and it's the United States' fault. Um, and, and that, I think, continues to bind them together, even though maybe China would do this differently than, than Russia approaches this. And so I, I, I kind of read that acknowledgement on, on Putin's part of concerns and questions as, as sort of doing China a favor, saying China does have questions and concerns, rest of the world. Um, at the same time, there, it, there isn't a break there. There isn't sort of a shattering of the China-Russia relationship. Um, and so within the context of the SCO, which I have lots of thoughts on, um, the fact is they still showed up to this summit together, had a bilateral meeting, put out, put out statements. Um, and so, you know, I think that we, we can't really read too deeply into these statements. I think we have to take into account what the country's actions are. And, and China continues to engage with Russia. Um, it has definitely not sided with with the West and with Europe and the United States when it comes to Ukraine. So uh, I think it's interesting, but I, but I don't know that it underscores some sort of massive break. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, definitely not a massive break. I think people were sort of over-interpreting that statement quite a bit. Uh, the other piece of, you know, the other statement, I mean, obviously, I think uh, Xi Jinping-Putin interactions are the most authoritative nature, uh, you know, the most authoritative forum of, of China-Russia relations for obvious reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, Li Jianshu, who's the the uh, the de facto number three in the in the Chinese uh, political system uh, was in Russia, and what was interesting was um, when he went to Russia, the Russian media sort of quoted him uh, as basically I think giving a statement of support for for Russia and Ukraine that I think was far beyond what I mean certainly what she has ever said uh, and what China has otherwise officially communicated through its positions. You know, for instance, I think uh, Li was quoted as saying that China understands Russia's uh, you know position in Ukraine. And it, you know, basically blamed the United States and NATO directly. But then Lee's comments weren't reported in Chinese state media or, or, or really emphasized. In fact, I think there were some concerns about whether the quote that actually appeared in, in the Russian, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the Russian media was actually something that Lee had said uh, or if, or if, you know, this might have something been sort of. Um, you know, part of a disinformation effort or something like that. So it's interesting to sort of see the nature of um, messages that have been coming out here. Um, in any case, yeah, we have, and, and yeah, go ahead. I just, I just want to say that 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 underscores the complexity of, of sort of basing too much of our analysis on just simple statements alone, because statements can be misquoted, they can be badly reported, they could be totally inaccurate, they could be badly translated, and then it also matters what audience that quote was for. So if if Lee was speaking for a Russian audience, you might say one thing. Um, whereas if you're speaking for an international audience, you might say a different thing. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but 
you know, continuing our discussion, uh, I did want to sort of go back a little bit before we get to the SEO summit uh, and talk about Xi Jinping's very interesting stopover uh, in Kazakhstan. So Kazakhstan's had quite the year. Uh, we, th- I think our first episode of the podcast this year was talking about Russian troops in Kazakhstan as Kazakhstan faced mm-hmm. an internal crisis. Uh, and lo and behold, here we are in September. Kazakhstan has, I think, maneuvered its- itself in a way that I think indicates a substantial interest in distancing itself from Russia. Uh, of course, understanding that there are dependencies and Kazakhstan can't exactly snub its nose directly at Moscow. But Katie, uh, I know you watch Kazakhstan, of course, much more closely than than uh, most of us do. Uh, what was your read on this summit? In particular, can I ask you about the, the reported comments by Xi offering Kazakhstan effectively security assurances? Uh, Xi was reported to say that he would help Kazakhstan protect its independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity, of course, with what's been happening to Ukraine and the ways in which Putin talks about protecting ethnic Russians overseas. I think it's it's sort of easy to interpret that as Kazakhstan basically uh, seeking China's assurances against Russia. But uh, But what's your take on that? Um, so I, I first of all think it was uh, it is super worth discussing the fact that Xi's first foreign trip abroad was to Kazakhstan. He could have just gone directly to the SEO summit in Uzbekistan and nobody would have batted an eye. So I think it is important that he went there. I think it had certain symbolic value, as you mentioned at the top. Uh, Kazakhstan was where what we now call the Belt and Road Initiative was unveiled uh, in a big speech at Nazarbayev University. And so I think Kazakhstan plays an important part in China's policies in Central Asia. Uh, It's territorially the largest country in Central Asia. Uzbekistan has the largest population. So this trip hit the two sort of core parts of the region for China, China's economic and security interests uh, in the region. Now, the comments that the so Xi published a uh, an article, a letter in, in, a, in a Kazakh newspaper. And, and that's where the specific comments about um, sort of safeguarding territorial uh, integrity, sovereignty, independence. Um, but I will point out that those are themes that crop up constantly in Chinese engagements in Central Asia. The concepts of territorial integrity, sovereignty, independence, those are even aspects of the SEO in which you have countries that are having territorial uh, issues. So these are, in in one sense, this is boilerplate language that crops up a lot in Chinese statements to in Central Asian countries and in Chinese statements in many countries around the world. The timing, and I think there definitely was a lot of reading into those, given Kazakhstan is in this super difficult position between uh, Russia and the West. There's, there's very clear domestic um, dissatisfaction with Russia's war in Ukraine, certainly with the uh, partial mobilization now uh, in Russia. There's ratcheted up concerns about Central Asians, including Kazakhs who who work in Russia, being roped into serving in the, the Russian military. So there's, there's heightened concerns there. And I think it's pretty clear that the Kazakh government is acting as a sovereign nation, which should not come as a surprise to us. But I think Central Asia is so often talked about as if it doesn't have sovereignty, it's just a Russian puppet, or it's just sort of being manipulated by Russia and China. These countries have their own interests, and Kazakhstan is doing the best it can to pursue its interests within this constrained environment that it exists. And so I I think it's it's worth continuing to watch um, if that breaking point comes. Uh, But 
you know, those who may go as far as say, you know, Russia's going to invade Kazakhstan next. Uh, my response to that continues to be, you know, with what army? Um, you know, the, the Russian army is very busy and not doing particularly well. So I don't think Kazakhstan should necessarily worry about a Russian invasion. But there are certainly ways that that Russia uh, can can hurt Kazakhstan on, on an economic level, on a political level. And so the fact that China comes to Kazakhstan first and, and says, again, what is boilerplate language for China about defending territory integrity and national sovereignty uh, is meaningful because it does communicate to Russia that that Kazakhstan does have other large partners. Um, and so this little triad is an interesting um, mix to watch for now. Yeah, so it's boilerplate. It's a little bit more than boilerplate. The Kazakhstan, you know, Kazakhs are making their own choices here. I mean, also, I mean, economically, I think for countries like, you know, many of the Central Asian states, like we talked about this in one of our early podcasts on Ukraine, it was the uh, the economic reverberations, right? The initial collapse of the mm -hmm. ruble, Russia cutting off exports to, to staunch uh, domestic scarcity, which raises prices for food and other things in these countries. I think long term, that also prompts them thinking about economically, where do you want the center mm -hmm. of gravity to be in the region to ensure just the best outcome for your own country? Uh, and yeah, you know, and that's and that's a continuation of, of longstanding Chinese policy in the region and longstanding policy in Kazakhstan to pursue tighter mm -hmm. economic relations with its um, West. Uh, and so I, I think this fits into um, right. a pattern. Um, okay, so next issue on the agenda, which you have a lot of thoughts about, uh, is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit. Uh, so I think the summit had some interesting moments, I would say, optically, certainly. Uh, we mm -hmm. talked a little bit about it. I think the Putin-Xi summit had some interesting optics to it. But um, Katie, let loose. I want to hear everything you think about this SEO <laughs> summit. So, um, you know, I, I, I think... The first thought I want to offer is that this is an incredibly important SEO summit. I think more than any other SEO summit in the history of the SEO, which goes all the way back to 1996 as the Shanghai Five, which I will get back to in, in a moment, um, more than any other summit, the world was actually watching this one. Uh, and, and Xi Jinping and the Putin Xi meeting was a big part of why the world was paying attention to the summit. Um, but I, I would say that the, the SEO continues to be this sort of interesting organization that I don't think is quite effective for its stated goals, even though it is effective as a geopolitical like tool and format. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Putin Xi meeting, there was a Putin Modi meeting, um, but there was no Modi Xi meeting. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, when we look at the SEO within the current SEO, you have uh, at least three very difficult relationships. It's the China-India relationship, the India-Pakistan relationship, and now in the Kyrgyz-Tajikistan relationship, which um, I'll say more about in a moment. But, you know, the the SEO, um, and, and uh, I really love this phrase, but the, the Shanghai spirit, as they like to call it, and, and when this is referenced, it's a reference to you know, mutual trust and benefit, equality, mutual consultations, and quote, respect for the diversity of cultures striving for joint development. That sounds really great, but that doesn't actually reflect the relationships within the SEO. So I, I find it interesting as a, a geopolitical um, format, and, and I think it has political values, certainly for Russia and China, um, sort of demonstrating we have our own block, though they specifically say this isn't a block. Um, but as an organization, it's not so effective. And so my sort of second point is that the, you know, what was most interesting about the SEO 
is what didn't happen at the SEO. So the day before the SEO summit, and this will sort of transition us into the the last thing we want to discuss, which is Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. On the, the on the September fourteenth, so the day before the summit, all the leaders are headed to Uzbekistan, and uh, shooting breaks out on the kyrgyz tajik border. Uh, it's, I think we recorded a podcast about this, possibly yeah. um, when the 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 first incident in April 2021 occurred. That was not the first outbreak of violence on the border, but that was the most significant in a very long time. In, 20, in the 2021 outbreak of violence, uh, 50 people died. Um, there were sort of coordinated actions along the border. Um, and so this year's outbreak of violence, like previous ones, we're not totally certain who started shooting first or what the specific trigger in this case was. So there's still a lot of confusion about who's at fault um, or who's more at fault. I think it takes two to tango in a situation like this. But the fact that this happened as the SEO was gathering is interesting. The SEO's original purpose was to help navigate uh, the border issues in the region between what used to be the Soviet Union and China. Uh, that's what it was founded as, is the Shanghai Five in 1996. And so as the SEO's sort of mandate and mission has expanded, it still has kind of failed at that original mission, I would say. And, and nowhere is that more evident than the Kyrgyz-Tajikistan border. Um, the summit itself, its joint communique afterwards, said nothing about this conflict. Nobody mentioned it in their speeches. There was a bilateral meeting on the 16th between Kyrgyz President Sadr Japarov and uh, Tajik President Imamali Rahmon, and they mentioned that they discussed it. Uh, the Kyrgyz readout mentioned a ceasefire, but on the 16th and the 17th, violence broke out again um, in a pretty significant way. There was heavy artillery used, uh, rifles, mortars. Uh, Batken, which is the capital of the region in Kyrgyzstan that is along this uh, undemarcated border, uh, was shelled. It's 10 kilometers from the border. So it's not in disputed territory. The fact that mortars landed in Batken was pretty serious. Um, and, and I think that has to be either deliberate or a really horrible mistake, neither of which are good things. Right. Um, and so the the root of this is that the about 40% of the Kyrgyz-Tajik border isn't settled. Uh, they don't agree on where the border lies. In, this is an extremely mountainous area. There are Kyrgyz villages and then Tajik villages. The roads weave in and out of the two countries. So it becomes really difficult to not just discuss because it, you know, how you refer to somebody attacking someone else's territory depends on whose territory you believe it is. And so it, it gets really, really muddled. Um, over the last several years, it's just gotten more tense and more tense. Um, both sides have acquired more sophisticated uh, armaments. The, the Kyrgyz, for example, uh, inaugurated a uh, drone uh, facility uh, on the 13th. Uh, they, they purchased Turkish Bayraktar drones. Tajikistan um, has a contract to produce Iranian drones. So there's, there's an escalation of capabilities on both sides, which kind of leads only to conflict. There, there's not um, sort of de-escalation mechanism. Um, and yeah. so it's a really, it's a really unfortunate situation. Well, I was going to ask, so, you know, the SEO is not going to do much here. Um, I think as we've seen, uh, with Russia right now, you know, the traditional stabilizing role or engagement role that Russia would have played in times of peace where Russia wasn't at war in Europe, 
uh, that's not happening. Uh, I mean, not just with Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, but also the violence that's cropped up between Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, which, mm -hmm. you know, we don't really talk about the Caucasus on our podcast, but, you know, I just want to flag that as sort of just broader background to what's happening right now uh, in, in the former Soviet space. China doesn't traditionally get involved in sort of mediating disputes like this. So is this really something that's going to be left up to you know, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan to, to figure out in a, in a bilateral setting? Or uh, or do you see a role for uh, the other Central Asian states? I mean, I know that this is a, a region where issues mm -hmm. of sovereignty are, are taken particularly seriously. So uh, how do you how do you suppose this is going to play out? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really unclear at this point. Um, both the Kyrgyz and the Tajik authorities are sort of trading statements in which they say the other side is absolutely lying about everything. Um, and, and so it, it's really hard to sort of navigate through. Um, tensions are really heightened, not just on the ground, but on, on social media and sort of in the public sphere between Kyrgyz and Tajiks in a way that I haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And as you noted, um, Russia is not in a position to mediate uh, in, in, in a way that maybe in the past it might have been a bit more active. Russia does have military bases in both Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. Uh, so there, there, there is sort of you can one can imagine a place for Russia to, to help bring these two sides together. Right. But it's never done that really effectively in the past. And it absolutely can't do it now. Um, I, there are calls, particularly from from Kyrgyz sort of civil society, which is a bit more active uh, for international investigation, international mediation. I don't know that there's um, really appetite or capability to do that right now, given Ukraine, given Armenia, Azerbaijan, given sort of countless other crises at this moment. But, uh, but you know, my sort of opinion on that is that I, I think there does need to be some kind of external mediation because uh, the two sides are just not effectively talking about this. And and one way to kind of underscore this is the Kyrgyz Tajik, the Kyrgyz Uzbek border used to be the most tense border in Central Asia. But since 2016, the Kyrgyz and the, and the Uzbeks, um, particularly because there was a new Uzbek president in 2016, actually have managed to settle most of their border. I don't think it's 100% completed, but they've made strides toward de-escalating tensions on that border. So this can be done, but you need two parties that want to do it. And and it seems that the, the Tajik president, who hasn't made a statement about this, um, hasn't expressed condolences even. So there's, there's, si there's some silence on the highest levels in Tajikistan that don't really foment any kind of de-escalation. Um, so I, I think an international partner is necessary, but I don't know from whence one would come. Right. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep an eye on that. I mean, if, you know, if this does flare up, I think we'll uh, we'll certainly want to come back and talk about it a bit more. But uh, before we close out, just wanted to sort of drop, I guess, two little other interesting outcomes at the SEO summit. Uh, so the first being mm -hmm. uh, Turkey announced its intention to join in the future, which yes. I don't think was a huge surprise uh, given the directions in uh, Erdogan's foreign policy, including how Turkey has maneuvered uh, after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And the other thing uh, is, and this is also going to, I'm sure, increase the functionality of the SCO, is the Iranians are probably going to formally become members in a year. They've submitted their membership application. Uh, and yeah. so uh, ex expanding the SCO stable uh, with a another country that certainly I think is going to bring a range of interesting perspectives and uh, disputes and uh, other issues uh, into the next uh, SEO summit. So uh, I'm sure uh, this won't be the last time we're talking about the SEO on this podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, those are definitely two really great points to underscore. The the Turkey one is particularly interesting because if, if Turkey does eventually attain SEO membership, it would, of course, be a member of both NATO and the SEO. Yeah. And NATO and the SEO are often sort of juxtaposed as, as the same thing, but two different sides of it. Um, I think that's maybe too simplistic, but it will be interesting. And then the Iranian membership also looks like it, it will come about. Um, I don't know how effective that will be. Uh, I think as as we saw when India and Pakistan joined, there were definitely some people who said, oh, this will help them settle their difficulties. And that absolutely did not pan out quite the way that the most hopeful among us thought. Uh, I think it having a platform is useful, but if you don't use it for that, that, uh, that, that use, then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Katie, I think uh, this is a miracle because I think we've covered uh, the whole range of issues we wanted to talk about uh, in just around 25 minutes. Uh, so thanks a lot for joining me as always and for sharing your tremendous insights on Central Asia. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to the listeners for hanging in with us for this. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners, uh, if you like what you heard on the show, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, uh, please do so. That really helps the show. And finally, as always, uh, if you have suggestions for topics you'd like us to address on the podcast, uh, you can reach out to either either myself or Katie, Twitter or email, uh, either works. Uh, and we're always happy to take those into consideration. So thanks a lot for listening. And we'll be back soon with more.